Well, good morning, church. It is really good to see you this morning. For those of you who are visiting with us, welcome. Those of you who are joining us online, we're glad you're doing that too. My name is Steve Cunningham. I'm uh, the lead pastor here at Wellhouse and grateful for the opportunity to get to talk to you today. Um, as Right before we kind of kick off into our message series, we started last week. Uh, didn't see that coming. I uh, want to tell you a couple of quick things. Uh, over the last several weeks now, we've, uh, we've been asking you, inviting you to join with us in 30 days of prayer. And uh, so if you haven't got one of those cards, make sure you reach out to somebody in leadership here who can help set you up with one of those. Um, we're really just asking that you join us for 30 days in prayer as we kind of seek out the future of where God is leading us as a church in Wellhouse. We want to be a place for good in our community. And we love uh, gathering here. It's kind of unique in a skate center. That's, that's fun, and there's some good things to that. Uh, but one of, the, one of the challenges that we've seen and known for a long time is uh, we wind up setting up tearing down every time, and, uh, and we wind up putting a lot of effort and energy into chairs and, and, and all the you know, tarps and all the things you see around us. And we really want to be intentional about putting our time and effort and energy into people. We see that that is exactly what Jesus did, right? Uh, you remember the story about Mary and Martha, right? And there's there kind of gets an upset time because somebody's feeling slighted about not having extra help in the kitchen, and and Jesus, says, no, 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 she chose she chose relationship over that. And we want to do that same thing too. And so we want to encourage you to join us in prayer. How best to do that? And that, that God would give us wisdom and insight and in how to do that and to join with us in, in doing this. So who we ask you to pray for that? I don't know about you, but I'll tell you this is true for me, is that over the course of my life, it's, it's funny, we were talking about this a little bit ago this morning, um, my life has felt a little bit like a jigsaw puzzle that as I was putting pieces together, it was like, I don't know how this fits together to make sense. Ever felt like that before? Or you didn't see what piece was coming next, or you thought you saw what piece was coming next, but apparently it did not come next, right? Ever been there before? Only me good. Okay. No, you were there before too, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I love about this series that we started last week. I didn't see that coming because I think my life and your life look a lot that way. That probably if you, if you look back six months ago or six years ago, or for some of you, it's a lot longer ago than that. And you thought, man, I did not see that one coming. Boy, I saw a lot of things coming, but I didn't see that one coming. And that's what our lives can look like. So here's the thing. Next week, uh, we're going to continue on in this series. I didn't see it coming. And what, what we're going to discover is this story of people who find a resurrected Jesus that they never saw coming. Now, here's the crazy thing about that story is he told them all along. And he was telling them all along, listen, they're going to think that they destroy me, but it is not over. And they didn't get it the whole time. And so he begins to walk with them on the road. And all of a sudden, the puzzle pieces come together. And they recognize that God was doing something all along. Over the last couple of weeks, we've asked, uh, we've invited you uh, to, to play along with something, and many of you have participated. Some of you are not very good at coloring. You, you mean, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm joking. 
It's great. I don't even know which way this goes. Maybe this. Anyway, next week, we're going to be putting these together. And right now, it just kind of, it looks really weird. Like, I don't know what that is. I don't know which way it goes. But next week, we'll put together in full this picture. And my guess is that there's somebody in your life that you know who, like, didn't see it coming, whatever it is. And maybe it's, like, financial hardship or maybe it's relationship struggles. Maybe it struggles with a kid or just personal stuff. And they need to hear the message of hope that you have been exposed to. That at some point in time, you were on the road, right? And Jesus was shown to you in a more full way. And now you, you may still walk with a limp, but you walk with hope. And they need to have that same picture pulled together for them. And so what we would love to have you do, we made these, these cards, Easter with Wellhouse, and it's just a simple way for you, if you know somebody who would benefit from a message of hope in this I didn't see that coming world, that you can give this and say, listen, you could be my guest. I'll take you out to lunch afterwards, or I'll invite you over to my house, or you can go over to the pastor's house. He's had tons of kids. He probably has food. He'd feed you. <clears throat> whatever it is. So we have these cards and we're going to pass those out. But I want you to think about somebody that you can invite who needs to see that picture put together more clearly. We would love to have you do that, to join us in that message of sharing this, this hope with other people. Last week, we talked about this, this story of this life of, this ministry of Jesus and how throughout his whole life, you know, people just didn't see it coming, right? His parents, I mean, they were foretold, they, they were told about who Jesus was going to be, but still they struggled with this concept of who he was and his disciples, you know, they were the closest with him in his ministry. They didn't get who he was and all the way up until we find a risen Savior, they couldn't quite figure out who this Jesus character was. The sinners and the tax collectors and the worst of the worst, man, they loved him, but they really didn't understand why. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the religious elite, they hated him, but they couldn't figure out why. Today, we kind of want to dig into this series I didn't see that coming as we look at the people who were instrumental in trying to, to kill Jesus and his movement. And we find this story, if you have your Bible, you can scroll on open, or if you're like me, you flip on open because I'm still old, older by the day, old soul. I don't know what the problem is with me. We find this story in John chapter 11, but let me set the stage for you of what's happening here in John chapter 11. In John chapter 11, some of the closest people to Jesus are going through a situation that they didn't see coming. They had reached out to Jesus and said, listen, we have a special relationship and we need you to know that our brother Lazarus, somebody that you know and love is sick and you need to be here. Because we've seen you do amazing things and we know what you're capable of. And so they invite him to come, but Jesus delays his trip. And in fact, he says he delays it so that they can see who he truly is. And he shows up on the scene and Lazarus is already dead. 
And he's not just dead, but if you remember a few months back, he's dead, dead, right? He's been, he's been in the tomb for long enough now that the Jewish belief was that the, the soul and the body kind of stayed together for a few days, but it's been more than a few days now, so the soul's already gone. Jesus goes in, he weeps. I love that. He weeps with people. And I don't know, this is just kind of a side note for you, but I don't know what your situation is, like what you've been through. And maybe this has been like a great season and everything's gone really well, or maybe it's been really like you've struggled in some areas. And I believe the God of all creation who spoke things into existence, who sent a son, who has the whole world in his hands, still weeps with us today. And so if you feel kind of alone in your struggle, you're not. So Jesus weeps with them, and then he enters into the mess, and he raises Lazarus from the dead. I don't know about you, but that would freak me out. <laughs> I spent almost six years as a, as a hospice chaplain. We have another hospice chaplain here today with us, too. And I've done lots and lots and lots of funerals in my life. But if somebody popped up behind me as I was speaking, man, I would be the first dude out the door, right? It'd be crazy. And so it created no small, like, stir among the community that, that Lazarus was, uh, he was raised from the dead. And all of a sudden, there was this big hubbub about Jesus and who he was and what he could do. And in fact, what happens is we read in the Bible that people started believing in Jesus because of what they saw. See, it's one thing to say, like, you're saved. It's another thing to say, all right, you're dead. You're real dead. Now come back to life. And it happens. And everybody's like, whoa. Whoa, he went from a good teacher. He went from an amazing rabbi to somebody who can do something that nobody else could do. So people started following Jesus. This is where the story takes place. John chapter 11, starting at verse 45, it says this, Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and seen what Jesus did, raised Lazarus from the dead, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. That sounds like a, a younger sibling, doesn't it? <laughs> it's like something happened. The younger sibling like, I'm going to tell mom and dad. And that's what they did. They went back to, to the Pharisees and the teacher of the law. They're like, we got to tell them on G, you know, what Jesus was doing. And the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin is this, this uh, political, religious, elite group of people who determines kind of what happens in the community. And the question is asked, what are we accomplishing? What do you mean by that question, they ask. So here's what they mean. Here's this man performing many signs. And if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come away, uh, come and take away both our, and underline this if you can, our temple and our nation. Our temple and our nation. Here's what's interesting about the religious elite at the time. They had no concern for the life of Lazarus. 
or the grief of Mary or Martha. They had no concern for the impact of his death on the community or those who mourned. Nor were they impacted at all by the fact that he was actually raised from the dead. They reference it. He's here performing many signs. Notice that they stay away from the thing. Like he actually raised somebody from the dead. They don't dispute it at all. In fact, they don't even go to say, listen, how can we actually show that this wasn't true? They were saying, listen, he's actually doing these things. How can we stop him? The real question for them was this. What did it mean for them? What did Jesus and his ministry and those following him mean for them? There's so much packed into these three short verses. That's fascinating. It's just fascinating. I think the first thing that really kind of hits me is that, that these people could witness somebody being raised back to life and not be impacted at all. You and I, we, we would crave that, right? Oftentimes somebody say like, if you could go back to, into a, a time and a place in history and just spend like 10 minutes right there, where would you go? And I always say, listen, I want to be at the tomb when Jesus walks out. I want to be there. But here's what's fascinating to me is that there are people who saw Jesus and him perform miracles. They, there are people who, who saw him raised from the, the dead and they still doubt And here's what I believe is that you can be face to face with the power of God and still not believe. And here's why. I believe you and I have been. I believe you and I have been. See, I believe that, that my life points to the power of God's redeeming nature in the world. The fact that I'm standing in front of you today Reminds me of that, but we can look face to face in the power of God and still not believe him. This is where this group of people was. They didn't see it coming because they weren't looking for it. They didn't want to see it. They didn't want to believe it. And in fact, it was more than that. Another part of this is that Jesus' presence was a threat to their preferences. Let that step on your toes for a minute. Jesus' presence was a threat to their preferences. What did they want? Well, they wanted things their way. They wanted their temple and their nation to continue the way that it had. They wanted a king who would rise up and, and unite with them and make them powerful once again. They wanted to overthrow the Roman government, but in such a way that it would once again restore the nation of Israel to what it had been before. But you see, Jesus' presence wasn't that. It wasn't an earthly kingdom meant to dominate and legislate morality. It was a spiritual kingdom aimed at transforming lives and hearts to what Jesus wanted. So it was his presence in essence was a threat 
to their preferences, to what they wanted, to what they saw. Their concern was of a temple and a nation. And they would fight literally to the death to keep it that way. I have to tell you, I, I was fortunate enough to grow up in a church setting. Uh, I was the first uh, in, in my family to, to do so. My parents, neither one grew up in a, in a church household, and they really just started attending a church right before I was born. So they were learning a lot of the same things at the same time that I was learning them about church culture and and, and about how to follow God and about the Bible and what's acceptable in a church setting and maybe what isn't acceptable. We were all learning that together as a family. And I watched growing up some things that happened in our church that didn't feel like what I read through Scripture. And I bet you've been there before too. I remember meetings where people would get red-faced and angry. And the reason was somebody was talking about changing the, the temple, right? Somebody was talking about changing the nation, changing the name, or ch changing how things looked all of a sudden. And there would be outrage. It was like, we're not going to do that here. They cared more about their own preferences, than the presence of Jesus there. I pray, church, that we always bow our preference to the presence of Jesus among us, even when it makes us uncomfortable even when it calls us outside of our comfort zone, even when it challenges something deep within inside of us, a truth that we've hung on to for a long time, and we have to let go of that for the presence of Christ in our life. Andy Stanley has a quote, says this, one of the primary reasons churches are empty is because church leaders love their models than they love people. Hmm. And I don't think that's a new problem. <laughs> I think we read it right here, right? That they're like, listen, we love our temple and we love our nation and we don't want to see a threat to it. And here's what Jesus is. He's a threat. When Jesus becomes a threat to your spiritual walk, your spiritual walk is off. story keeps going. Continues on in verse 49, says this, then one of them named Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, he spoke up and he said, you know nothing at all. I've been in meetings just like that before, right? <laughs> one guy was like, hey, listen, y'all don't know anything. Um, they might've been right. You don't realize that it's better for you that one man die for the people, then that the whole nation perish. He didn't say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation and not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of Israel to bring them together and make them one. 
So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Here's the thing. Caiaphas tried to point to a simple solution of Jesus to their problem. Jesus needed to die to keep the peace. Little did he know. And what he didn't see coming was that Jesus would actually die for all the people. It's this idea of substitutionary atonement. I know that's a crazy big sounding word. But the word really means that, that listen, there's got to be a sacrifice that happens here to atone for, for separation in, in our relationship with God. And it happened so early on in the Bible. In fact, the whole narrative of the Bible is this idea that, that Jesus, uh, that, that God was continuing to redeem the world. That sin came in the picture and broke our relationship with God and broke our relationship with other people and broke our relationship with this world. And that's why it's such a struggle. And Jesus came in as an atonement for what we could not do on our own. But here's where I think the idea, if you're familiar with substitutionary atonement, here's where I think it might go askew or where we might get it wrong. See, the idea isn't just a transaction, one life for another or one life for many. It's about transformation. Jesus didn't just come to be a sacrifice for us. He came to transform us. And this is good news because you and I, we don't just need to be saved from sin. We need to transform into who God created us to be. Years ago, I was 15, 15 years old. I went with my dad and a couple of church guys. We were going to go out on this hiking adventure in the Smoky Mountains. So we travel down to Gatlinburg, stay in a chalet for a couple of nights. Then we gather up all of our equipment and we do a day hike all the way up to the top of this mountain range. And it was brutal. And we stay in the top in this thing called a bear shelter. I, I, truly, I think a, a strong raccoon could have gotten in it, but uh, <laughs> it was like three sides, a tent uh, or a, a chain link fence. The top of it was a chain link fence and the back side were some boards that were nailed together. Mice throughout. I took, you know, curled up in my sleeping bag and kind of burrowed in and just felt them kind of nest in me all night long. Yeah, it was gross. I don't even have to watch scary movies. I just go back to that, and that's pretty much frightening as it'll be. The next day, it rained all night. That was pretty awesome because it was chain link fence that was protecting us. <sighs> At least the bears didn't get us, right? The next day, we're coming down from the mountain. The guy that's leading the way, he is a natural hiker. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're looking at me and you're saying, you look like the natural hiker. I wasn't. <clears throat> We're hiking down this mountain. And there's a point to, to where the, the path gets so narrow, it's, it's, it's like half the size of your foot. There's a little kind of steel rope to hang on to. And we're going at a really quick pace. It rained all night. The rock gets kind of slip. 
and I hit just wrong. And for like what felt like 15 years, but it was a millisecond, both feet were off the ledge. And I was dangling in the air to about a 500 foot drop down to rocks. And I felt a hand grab my backpack and pull me back. It was my dad. I mean, he saved, for sure, he saved my life. No doubt about it. See, Jesus does that for you, but that's not it. He doesn't just put you back into a saved place. Because being safe isn't the only thing that God wants for you. It's good to be safe. You know what my dad did after that? He talked about, listen, there's, there's, a, there's this steel thing. You probably should hold on to that, Steve. Okay. And how about if this pace is going too fast for you, you slow down. And you see where the water is running across the rocks and and you see that kind of thin line of algae. Those are going to be really, really slick. So you got to be really careful. Okay. And the rest of the way down, it wasn't just that I was living into a saved state from dying. It was that my whole trip down was different than it was before. And that is what Jesus does for us. See, it's not that he just grabs and puts it right back on the rock. It's like, go for it, try it again. And he changes us. Jesus came to give us a transformational faith, not a transactional faith, not a transactional religion. Ben, if you come on up as we kind of close out some thoughts together. Keep reading on here with me, if you don't mind. We'll finish out this story really quick. This is what it says as we continue on. Therefore, Jesus knows there's a bounty on his head, right? Their last statement is, all right, he's got to die. This is going to be better for us if he's just out of the picture. So Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the people of Judea. Instead, he withdrew to the regions near the wilderness to live in the village of Ephraim where he stayed with his disciples. And when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many people went up from the country to Jerusalem to their ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. And they kept looking for Jesus. And as they stood in the temple courts, they asked one another, what do you think? Isn't he coming to the festival at all? But the chief priests and the Pharisees had given order to anybody who found out where Jesus was to report it so they might arrest him. Now this is interesting. And you're thinking, what's interesting about it? See, the Passover was this huge deal in Israel. And people would come from all over. It wasn't like they would hop in their cars and it was like a 30-minute drive. I mean, They gathered their family and they walked for miles and miles and miles and miles and days and days and days so they can be there early. And they celebrate in this remembering of what God has done for them. 
In fact, the whole idea of the Passover was a retelling of the story of how God saved them. And instead of that, the religious people of the time were focused on what they felt like was a threat to the way that they wanted it. They're standing in the temple court in the middle of Passover preparing for a threat. And I wonder, in my life and yours, if there's ever a time where I'm overlooking what God's doing now because I'm too focused controlling on what I want in the future. See, that's, that's what the religious leaders were looking at then. It's like, I know what I want in the future, and so I'm going to control it as much as I can. And God was saying, I'm doing a new thing. But you're missing it. And if you'd open up your eyes and open up your heart and lay down your preference, maybe it wouldn't be a mystery. Maybe it wouldn't be you didn't see it coming, but you saw it coming all along. And you got to be a part of it. So for us, this, this is where this stands. Like, what is it in your life? What is it in your life that you need to lay down in order to see God's plan for you a little more clearly? And maybe it's your pride Maybe it's your expectations. Maybe it's just the idea of the way it should work out. It's like the temple and the nation and this, all of it working out together for your good. And God says, I don't need it to be for your good. I need it to be for my good. And it will be good. Whatever it is, I pray that you'll wrestle with this question this week. And I pray that you will look for the opportunities around you to invite somebody to come to a message of hope. One of the best things we can do in this life is to hold the door open for somebody who needs to know Jesus better. So this week, I encourage you to invite somebody to come and hear a message of hope with us next week. Would you pray with me as we close out our time together today? God, we, and we are so thankful for this book. This book, the Bible, that is the retelling of you chasing us down through history. And we confess we get it wrong way more than we get it right. So God, would you convict us? And would you change us? We thank you for saving us, but help transform our lives to be different people. Open our eyes to the people that need hope around us so that we can share the gospel with them. It's in your holy, precious, righteous, amazing name of Jesus.